is. And man, it just seems like things are just coming apart at the seams, does it not? I mean, every single program that comes on television, every single newscast, every single internet splash that comes across your scene has more and more bad news, does it not? We've been talking recently from the book of Genesis. We're walking through Genesis chapters 1 through 11. We've made it to Genesis 3. We walk slow, I guess. But we're now in Genesis chapter 3. And as, as I have watched what's coming across our news networks over the last, I don't know, 7, 14, 21 days, it's hit me how important our worldview is. You see, we all have a way that we view the events of life. All of us do. You have a lens of how you interpret things. As things come into the different gates of your life, whether you hear it or see it or or experience it, you interpret those things. And you come to some conclusions about life, about the past, about the future. And you have to answer some questions along the way. You have to answer some questions like, where did we come from? All right? And, And what has gone so wrong I mean, why does the news have things... I just wrote down some, some article titles of this week, okay? Let me just, just review what, what we've heard. Planned Parenthood, revelations about harvesting and profiteering through the organs of aborted babies. Baltimore murder and violence rates soar to record levels. Good Samaritan couple murdered after stopping to help a stranded motorist in Montana. Cincinnati man killed by police officer in routine traffic stop. Lion illegally killed in Zimbabwe Zimbabwe by an American dentist. The world is more outraged by the lion story than the abortion story, which really I can't understand. A debate over moral outrage. And what is the moral outrage? Cheating in the NFL. It's like, what's going on? It seems that every single time we turn on the news, we turn on any form of media... We hear bad news. So we forced you today to think about good news. What would you come up with one? Best news you heard all week. I saw some of you like, I don't know. Best news, that's hard to come up with. It is indeed. I want to share some good news with you today. And that's this. Yes, we live in a fallen world. I cannot deny that. If I tried to, you'd be right and call me a liar. We live in a fallen world that is broken. That there's the consequence of sin here in this world. But there's good news. And the good news is this. God has a plan. God has a plan. And He is redeeming people. And He is going to redeem this world. And He is establishing His kingdom And He will one day set up His kingdom on earth. And God, the Lord Jesus Christ, is reigning and desires to reign in your life. In your life. To be your Adonai. Your Master. Open up your Bible with me this morning to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. Pastor Brent started us into this passage last Sunday. I appreciated that good word on the fall of man, the temptation of Adam and Eve, this historical event that occurred that had drastic 
fatally bad, terminally bad consequences. The consequences of what we saw in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 13, are still echoing forward thousands of years later. And you live it in your life every single day, and so do I. Because of what we saw in Genesis chapter 3, where man was tempted, and man then volitionally, so he chose to rebel against God. Man made a decision to rebel against God. And because of that decision, God placed consequences on the, on the creation. And we see now the, the implications of that. We see natural and physical disasters that occur. We have problems in our own body, medical challenges that we have. We see relationships that are, that are hindered and broken. We see all these, the implications that come from this event. We're going to read, start out and read verses, uh, verses 14 through the end in chapter 3. But before we do that, I want you to understand what, what we're going to see here. Okay, what we're going to see is that God is going to institute consequences for sin. Now, what I'm going to read for you, this is not the natural response to sin. Here's what I mean. If you lie, if you walk out of here and lie, well, there are just some natural consequences that come your way. Am I right? You get caught in that lie, you look dumb. Okay, you look like a liar, you're embarrassed. That just is naturally the way that this earth operates. Sexual sin has natural consequences that go with it. And we won't take the time to list those out. There are some things that naturally occur from sin. But that is not what we're going to see in Genesis chapter 3. These are God-ordained consequences that He has placed on His creation with a purpose. With a purpose. Chapter 3, verse 14. The Lord God said to the serpent... The serpent, as you recall, was used of Satan to tempt man in the same old lie that Satan uses over and over again. Satan said, you will not die, for God knows this, that you can be like God. And so Satan tempted Eve, and Eve violated God's one command, and her husband who was with her did the same. So the Lord God said to the serpent... Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. There we have both kinds of animals, domesticated and not domesticated. On your belly you shall go, and the dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Verse 15, there is somewhat of a change here that occurs. Verse 14, God is now speaking about this non-rational creature, the serpent. Okay? He's speaking about this not this, this snake doesn't understand what it's doing, but God places a, a consequence onto the serpent. And now we see another consequence that goes onto a rational being, Satan. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And then. 
It's almost as if the face of God now turns and looks at Eve. The second created human who was there in all of the wonder of the Garden of Eden, who experienced something that we can only imagine what it was like in our current state. And God says, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for, or it also can be translated that preposition against, Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And then the face of God now turns to Adam. The one who was called to be the spiritual leader. The one who received the direct revelation from God that they were not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Eve had not received this from the Lord. God had said this to Adam who's responsible now to provide leadership for his wife. And we know he failed. And God said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain. So this is another, this is a second time this pain is is now explained. In pain you shall eat of it. All the days of your life, thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it, and what is it, by the way? It is the ground. It is the dust of the earth that God made man out of. Okay, Out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Now, we don't know how much time went between verses 19 and 20. But number tw- verse 20 and on is, is very significant. We are going to see some significant responses from Adam. The man called his wife's name Eve. Before he had called her woman. It's a Hebrew word. Very likely it was going to be her name. But now he calls her something else. Because she was the mother of all living. There's hope there. There's hope. Look for it. You see it? The mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skins and clothed them. There's hope there. You see it? Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us. There's hope there. His name is Jesus. It's there. In knowing good and evil... Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. It's almost like the the thought of God sort of stops there. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man. And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life, and there is hope there. There is hope there. You see, man has a new reality, all right? 
Because of verses 1 through 14, man has a new reality. And I'm going to call it, this is, not, this is a theological term, and don't be intimidated by it. It's called total depravity. It's called total depravity. And here's what this means. What it means is that everything we touch, everything that we are, to our core, we are sinful. To your core, you and I, we are rotten to the core. That's what it means to be totally depraved. What it means is, I was born, my father before me was a sinner. And from him, I inherited this sin nature. And in generations ago, Adam, he fell and imputed to me was a sin nature. And so from my father and from my great-great-great-great-grandfather, I received this sin nature. But so that I don't point at them and say, how dare my dad and how dare Adam, I also have this other problem. It's called my personal sin. And that is the fact that I live my life and I don't set out in the morning to think, oh, how can I sin? At least not every day, right? And yet I do. And yet I do. So because of my imputed sin from Adam, and because of my inherited sin from my father, and because of my own personal sin, I am totally depraved. Now, and so are you, and so is every person that you ever meet. Let's just explain this a little bit further. That doesn't mean that you are as bad as you can possibly be. I know there are some people that on, you know, if we were to grade one another, some people are worse than others. I get that. But we are totally depraved. So no matter where you land on this scale of how bad you are compared to other people, we all fall short of God. Ephesians chapter 2 says this, that we are children of wrath. Verses 1 to 3 of Ephesians 2. Children of wrath. We are born dead in our sins. Totally depraved. So God must intervene. And what we're going to see here when we walk through 14 through 25, 24, we're going to see God intervening into lives to create a new reality. God's going to create a new reality. The potential for a new reality. Now, we see the old reality portrayed in front of our eyes every single day. You know, I got this spot at my yard. Maybe you got one of these as well. We should have a work day for our whole church and come to my house and pull weeds on this hill. Because it would be a great lesson for us to learn. Because amazingly, if we came back two weeks later, they're back there again. It's like... For some reason, there's like steroids that are pumped into this hill at my house. And it just produces these really strong weeds. You got one of these hills at your place? And I pull weeds like crazy, and I plan other things, and I come back like an hour later, and they're all back there again, and now they're laughing at me, right? The weeds are pointing at me with their leaves, and you know, it's just crazy what happens in this sin-cursed world. I left for vacation just a few weeks ago. And one of the things I did was I, packed, I backed my trailer up into this sort of section of my yard. And, and it wasn't mowed or anything. We come back two weeks later and my trailer's now like been just taken over by weeds. All this evidence 
of the depravity of this world, the brokenness of this world, and the media regularly puts on the screen story after story after story. And I don't know about you, but I watch it, and I want to weep at times. And I think, why are we so cruel to one another? Why do we damage one another? And what can we do? These are worldview questions. Let's start into it. Verse 14. And see how God intervenes. See what He does. First of all, we're going to see this, this temporary struggle unfold. There's a temporary, a cosmic struggle that God is going to unfold for us to see. Verse 14, the Lord God said to the serpent, and again, the serpent is very likely a snake, okay? We can talk about what it might be. Some have, have you know, hypothesized. Maybe it's a dragon or it's a, a snake with legs that walked around. And you know what? I have no idea. The Bible does not answer these questions. But the Lord God said to the serpent, said, because you have done this, curse are you above the livestock. Now, I want to understand something. This snake did not make a, it didn't process through and think, hmm, should I partner with God or partner with Satan? I don't, I don't believe that happened here. So what is God doing that this, this beast is now cursed above all other livestock? And on your belly you shall go. Now let's just say this. We don't know for a fact that this serpent was standing before this moment. There's, there's, I mean, it says in on its belly you shall go. We don't know. Maybe it was on its belly before. I really don't know. And the dust you shall eat. And what this, all that means is it's going to crawl around in the dirt is what it's going to do. And it's going to do this all the days of its life. Now, what is this about? Very interesting to me. Let me read for you Isaiah 65. You can write this reference down. I'll read, I'm going to read verse 17 and 25. Listen to this. Isaiah 65. The Lord says, Behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. See, God is going to recreate. He is going to dissolve this earth and going to recreate, not through a million-year process, no. Instantly, He will recreate a new heavens and new earth. You see, He's done that once before, and He can do it again. And when He does, the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. So now, Isaiah here, as the Lord leads describes what this is going to look like in the rest of chapter 65. Let me jump to verse 25. Listen to what it says. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The wolf with its canine teeth and the lamb who's defenseless will graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. Hmm, that's odd. And dust shall be the serpent's food catch that? In the millennial kingdom now, here on earth, most everything is going to be changed, but not the serpent. It's still going to crawl around on the ground. And it's still true that yesterday, my son and I get into my Jeep, and we move some things around back in the yard, and I look in my rearview mirror, and I see a snake. And I went, oh, Daniel, get it. I don't like snakes. My son is a killer. Sorry to upset any of you, but that snake is no longer with us. 
Now, why is that? What's going on here? I believe what God has done in his... The consequence of this sin is the serpent represents our hatred, our natural response. Now, I know some people like snakes, okay? That's fine. But you cannot argue that naturally man doesn't like snakes. And we see this snake, and we see it on its ground, on the ground that is, crawling on the ground. And we are reminded, we are reminded of the sinfulness of this world and of the consequence of violating God's ways. Every time you see a snake, every time you see a snake, it is a visible reminder of the consequence of rebellion against God. Allow it to be a reminder. God intends for it to be a reminder, so much so that in the kingdom, the poor snake will not change. But don't feel too bad for him about it, because he doesn't know any different. He's not rational. Okay? But it's a reminder to us of the consequence of sin. Verse 15. Now we go to another level. I will put enmity. That is a, that is a hatred between two moral beings. See, that's how we know now that now God is not speaking to the snake anymore. He's now speaking to a person. The person of Satan. I'm not a human, but Satan is a real, has a, he has a personality. He's a real being. And now God is speaking to him. He says there's enmity. This is a hatred between two moral beings. There is now an enmity between you and the woman. You see, God is now bringing in the consequence of what Satan has done. Think about what Satan tried to do. Satan had rebelled with the angels. Pastor Brent dealt with this last week. And now it comes alongside these human creatures... And he says, partner with me to rebel against God. Work with me together. We will have an affinity one with another, Satan says to this woman. We will be good friends. We'll be buddies. We'll be partners in this. And we'll now rebel against God. And God says, no. Satan was the greatest creation of all the angelic beings. Made to glorify God. And God said, there will now be hatred between you and the humans. There will be hatred there. So much so that it will end in death. You see that? So then it goes on to say, let me me grab it. I just forgot what I was going to say here. Read the verse here. Between your offspring, there's my word, between your offspring and her offspring. Literally this is between your seed and her seed. There's this battle that goes on between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head. What this really means is it means to clobber over the head. It means to take a very large thing and hits them over the head and it kills them. Okay? This is to smash someone's head is what this is. And he, though, shall bruise, you that is, shall bruise his heel. Now, this is, a, this is a very important part of your Bible, okay? This is, this is called the first gospel. The first gospel. Clear back, right after the Garden of Eden, God reveals his gospel. That there will come one, and notice who he will be. He will be the seed of the woman. The seed of the woman. 
Now what's interesting about that is almost all the time when seed is referenced of a, of a person, it is the seed of a male. But here, it's the seed of a female. And the Hebrew listener would think, well, that's odd. That's, that's like supernatural. Seed of a woman? Seed comes from man. Seed doesn't come from woman. What do we have here? That this one who will come to destroy the work of Satan is coming by supernatural, unpredictable means. See, this is the first time the gospel is pointed at. And just let this, let this hit you. Hear the hope. Now think about this. Adam and Eve are now hiding behind leaves, okay? Trying to hide from the person of God. God has now stepped into their vicinity. He has now spoken consequence. They hear it to the serpent, to Satan, and now they know what? It's coming my way. All right? I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll compare it to when I would get in trouble, my, parent, my mom would say, Mickey, that's me, go to your bedroom. Jason, that's my brother, go to your sister's bedroom, and we'd be in there hiding because it's almost 3 o'clock, and my dad's coming down the hallway, and you hear him, boom, 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 and you're hoping, go to the other room first, and then maybe you'll forget. That's Adam and Eve now, okay? And hear what God does. He gives them hope before the consequence is even shared. Before the consequence of their sin is even shared, God gives them hope. We follow a God of grace. And I don't care what sin you've committed. I don't care how often you've committed it. I don't care the depths of your depravity that you have went to. God is a God of grace. And He offers us His special creation, His masterpiece, grace. And this is the first glimpse at the gospel that is given. And the one who came to divert God's plan, their head would be crushed. And it would require... The bruise of the seeds heal. Folks, we're talking about the cross here. When Jesus was bruised for our iniquities, He was bruised on our behalf, and Satan gave Him what he believed to be a death blow. As a matter of fact, it did result in His death. But it was no more than a temporary bruise on the heel that in three days later was overcome and conquered. This is the gospel here in Genesis chapter 3. 1 Peter says this, speaking of Satan and speaking of of that whole kingdom, listen listen what Peter writes. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brother throughout the world. Now here, 
And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore, strengthen, and comfort you. God had to intervene. And so He did. And so He did. Let's now look to what was said in the direction of the woman... But the implications of these words not only affected her, they affect her husband, they affect her children, her grandchildren, and on down the line, even us today. Let's read it. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. And we certainly, many of us have seen that. I almost said experienced. And then I knew some of you would correct me quickly. I never did, but I've seen it. And it's a rough time, I'll tell you what. I don't know prior to this, was childbirth going to be pain-free? I don't think that's quite possible, but I don't know, okay? But now, it's going to be greatly increased. And the language here is very strong. It is is that this multiplied pain, it's stated several times to indicate that this pain will be great. Now, what is this about? This is a consequence with a purpose. This is discipline. This is discipline. This is not some abusive father that just slaps his kid across the face. No. This is a loving father who now comes alongside his son and does bring consequences in their life, but they're for a purpose to teach him. So, ladies... When you go through the pain of childbirth, when you go through the challenge of your reproductive system, know that all of that, all of that is a physical reminder of the consequence of sin. That's what that is. You're not specifically cursed, you individually. We're all right there with you. Okay? And that is the reality of the sin-cursed world. In pain you shall bring forth children. Now, if you ask a Hebrew scholar, like rabbi level, what that means, the, the rabbinical teaching is this. And think about this, ladies, and I don't know if it necessarily means this or not, but it's a nice idea. This is what the rabbis taught. Okay, That you carry that child in your womb for nine months. And he or she is there and safe, right next to you, hearing your heartbeat. You feel their heartbeat. And then after nine months, you know, the mothers know, they have to release that child into the world. The rabbis taught that was what this pain in childbearing was. That mamas know that their little babies have to go live in a sin-cursed world. There's a lot of truth there, isn't there? Exactly what that means, I can't say for certain. But I know this for certain, that because of the consequence of sin, the pain that we experience through childbirth, through the rearing of children, has increased as a physical tangible reminder of the consequence of sin. But that's not all. That's not all. Then there's this other statement. 
Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Now, we must be very careful here. We must be very careful that we don't interpret this passage only through our lens. Because if I speak of a wife's desire for her husband, you immediately, probably, go into the sensual or the sexual arena. But that is not what this word means at all. That's not what this word means in one way or... uh, uh, There's no shade of that in this word. This has nothing to do with sexuality. It has nothing to do with sensuality. It has nothing to do with that at all. But we need to know what it means. Because we we are walking this every single day. Okay? Now, to understand what this means, we'd be very wise to allow the Bible to explain itself. And to do that, I want you to turn over one page to Genesis chapter 4. To Genesis chapter 4. Because here in Genesis chapter 4, we have the same two words used in a passage that we can easily understand. And that's a basic method of interpreting the Bible. What we do, we interpret the Bible is, we try to understand what these words mean. And one way of doing that is seeing how they're used in a place that is better understood and applying that then to a passage that is not as easily understood. Go with me to Genesis chapter 4, verse 7. These are the words that God speaks to Cain just prior to Cain's murder of his brother Abel. Cain is being tempted. He's really dealing with envy and jealousy. And he's being tempted now to murder his brother. And he's going to go through and do it in just a minute here. But God now gives a word of warning to him. And he says this, If you do well, Cain, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. The sin of murder is crouching at Cain's door. And God is warning him about that. And so he specifically warned him about the sin he's getting ready to commit. But then he goes a little further and explains what's going on in Cain's spirit. He says, it's being sin. Its desire is for or against you. But you must rule over it. Exact same words that God used in Genesis chapter 3. So they indicate to us what this means. Let's look back at Genesis chapter 3 and and see what I'm talking about here. Eve, your desire shall be for or against your husband. And Adam shall rule over you. Now, understand, this is a model of misery. This is not a model for your marriage. This is a model of misery. These, what God is saying is going to happen now because of your rebellion against Him. You want to know good from evil? Is that what you want? Okay, let me tell you what you're going to have to battle against. This model of misery. First of all, the woman's desire will be against her husband. Now we saw with Cain what that meant. What that meant was this. Sin's desire is against you. Sin wants to defeat you, Cain. Sin wants to subdue you, Cain. Sin wants to make you a slave. Sin wants to usurp you, 
Cain. Now God is saying to the woman, because of this sin, because of the consequence, here's the consequence that you're going to feel in your life. Eve, you're going to want to overrun your husband. You're going to want to rule over him. You're going to want to make him your slave. Your desire will be against him. Just like Cain was being warned of sin, Eve is now being warned of the desire to be against her husband. Remember what God intended. Remember what God intended. Let's go back. Let's go back. Probably just a couple hours. Let's go back. God said to Adam, be fruitful and multiply. Have dominion over all the earth and subdue it. And don't eat from this tree, but do eat from this tree. And now I give you woman. And Adam says, oh, she's bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She's wonderful. They're in partnership. There's equality. He now communicates to her and says, this is what we're supposed to do. We're going to fulfill this God's command. We're going to multiply. We're going we're to, you know, just have dominion over the earth. And, and we can eat from that tree, but not that one. Oh, honey, this is a great existence. And they partner together as equals before the Lord. One serving as leader, yes. The other serving is helping in that leadership. Yes. But they're together as a team. And this strand is not easily broken. But it was that day. And now the consequence of that sin is that she will attempt to overthrow his rule. Now, guys, before you get all high and mighty, okay, let's look at the second half. Because quite honestly, in the, the annals of history, the second one has been violated more than the first. Okay? You'll follow what I mean, I think, once we explain it. And he shall rule over you. Now, the, first, the next time we saw that use was in verse uh, 7 of chapter 4. It's desires for you, but you must rule over it, Cain. Cain, you must rule over sin. Cain, what must you do? you got to conquer it. You have to conquer it, Cain. By whatever means are necessary, you've got to conquer it. Use your strength, use your spirit, use your mind, whatever it takes, you put that sin where it, where it belongs. Now, men have done that to women for centuries. Wrongly so. And it's the model of misery. You see, because of our now total depravity condition, the wife desires against her husband, and the man now in his sinful response, in his selfish response, says, oh yeah? For centuries, has said, oh yeah? I'm bigger than you. I'm stronger than you. So I will rule over you. And many things have been done in many cultures against women that break the heart of God. And they're both wrong. They're both the consequence of sin. So, gentlemen, 
When you feel in your heart and you think, I can't believe she just spoke to me that way. Does she think I'm some kind of a child? She thinks I'm stupid, doesn't she? And then you get loud. Because you can talk louder than her. Because your voice goes down and hers goes up. So you can get real loud, right? And so you do that. Oh, you? You need to know. You are displaying your sinful condition. Have your antenna up. That's not of God. That's showing you. That's a visible reminder to you. Tangible. You can feel it. You can hear it. There it is. Sin is wrong. Rebellion against God is not His way. Now, on the other hand, ladies, when you think, he's an idiot. If I wasn't here, he couldn't get out of bed in the morning. He just keeps making these same stupid mistakes. He's a loser. His mother was right. Man, that's bad. I hope you all never say that. (laughs) But when those things come in your heart... You need to remember that is your total depraved condition. It is God saying loudly in your ear, you're broken. You need me. See, it is, this is the original battle of the sexes. Here it is. Here it is. Why do you think this is such an issue? Can I give you some hope? This is not the plan of God. It is not the plan of God. That's why in Ephesians 5, God corrects it. He says, husbands, love your wives. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Wash her of the water of the word. And nourish her and cherish her. That you may present her to Christ. Without wrinkle, without spot. And wives... Submit to your husbands, as the church does unto Christ, as lords. Submit to them. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. You see, God did an amazing thing. He did an amazing thing. He took this consequence that was there, and He makes it right when we walk filled by the Spirit. Ephesians 5, verse 17. We walk filled by the Spirit... Husbands, you can love your wives. Wives, you can respect your husbands. It is possible because that great serpent of old has been killed. So the power of sin is broken. Well, then God faces Adam. Okay, Now, we need to realize, Adam's already got consequences. All right? He's already got consequences. But now the face of God turns to Adam. Okay? We're going to look some more at this twisted design that has happened. Can I say this, though? You know, when you're a, when you're a pastor, um, one of the things that happens a lot is you get called to hospitals to visit people, oftentimes right before they die. And, and I hope... If God tarries, and we all walk in the will of God, that someday, some of you will be on your deathbed, and I'll be by your side. And we'll pray together, and I'll be there, 
And you will close your eyes and you will depart into eternity. And some of you will be there by my side when I lay in a hospital bed. And you'll be there by me. And we'll pray together and we'll close our eyes. I'll close my eyes in this example. And I'll depart to be in eternity. You know something? Something I've learned in almost 20 years of ministry. No matter how prepared you are for that moment, no matter how godly the person may be, no matter how sure you may be that they are going to be with the Lord, it is horribly painful. It's horrible. It's horrible. And most of you have been there. I know. You've been there. You've seen it. It's hideous. Why is that? Well, because there's this thumbprint on our spirit. It's almost like, you know, you put your thumb on the silly putty. Remember that stuff? Put your thumb on it. As a kid, I'd like to play with silly putty. And you'd have your thumbprint on it. Cool. The thumbprint of God is on our spirit. And Ecclesiastes chapter 3 says this, that God has placed eternity on our heart. Eternity. He's placed on our heart. So we don't want to die. We don't want to die. But death is now going to come into existence. And no one, I believe, is sadder over this than the Lord God, Elohim Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God. Hear how he explains it. To Adam, he looks to Adam now, but really he's speaking to all of us. And he says, because you have listened to the voice of your wife. See, there was the first mistake Adam made. All right? Now, let's understand that. That's not because he should not hear her as his helper. He certainly should. But we're to be partners in this. Complementing one another. The mistake he made was not hearing his wife. The mistake was hearing his wife in a non-wise way. He did not discern what was happening. He did not lead. He didn't lead. Now, husbands and wives are always going to make mistakes. The husband's going to say things that are wrong. The wife's going to say things that are wrong. That's just the way it works, folks, because you're two sinners together. But you weave your life together, complementing one another, and those strands are not easily broken. But the sin came in when he ate of the tree because God had commanded him not to. So cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. So I want you to see here. The dominion now of Adam is challenged. He was going to reign over the earth. And he'd plant a tomato, he'd get a tomato. He'd plant a green bee, he'd get a green bean. It's going to be the perfect gardening environment. Okay? But now his dominion is gone. It's challenged. And so with it, verse 18, are thorns and thistles. These are things that you don't have to plant. They just come from someplace. Where are they? I don't know, but they just appear. Okay? And there they are. It shall bring forth for you. So the ground itself will bring forth thorns and thistles. And you shall eat the plant of the fields, and by the sweat of your face you shall now eat bread. What did they eat before? 
Well, they ate from the tree right there. God provided for them, but now Adam's going to be taken out of the garden. He's going to have to work to provide for himself, yes, but not just work, but work in a sin-cursed world. And that's why it is that we grow tomatoes and get weeds. And that's why it is that you roll over at 43 years old and you think, gosh, is this all there is of life? I get up and go to work, I come home, I'm going to buy a convertible. Okay, that's, that, you know, that's where we go, right? I mean, that, that's it. This is where the midlife crisis came from. And we got the battle of the sexes, we've got the midlife crisis right here. This is, this is where we live. But it's not what God intends. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So the dominion is challenged, provision is challenged, his very life is now challenged. And just to wrap up, that's, that's creation groaning, by the way, of futility. Romans 8 says that the creation itself groans. And we groan. And the Spirit of God groans in words that are intelligible. We can't even, they, they don't mean, because, and what that is, is, is life here on this planet at times is so hard that we're just saying, oh, so heavy. Words can't even express how much pain some of us have to walk through. Words can't express how much hurt some of us walk through. Words cannot express the challenge that violation of yourself by one you love brings into your life. Words can't even express it. So the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. You see what Adam is thinking? There's one coming. There's one coming. And he will finally defeat Satan. He will crush his head. There's one coming. It's from the seed of my wife. She is the one that's going to bring forth all living. She is Eve. She is Eve. And from her will come the one that will crush Satan. And then the Lord made for Adam and his wife garments of skins. What's going on there? God is now covering their nakedness that they now have shame over. Remember, they saw they were naked and they had shame and so they tried to hide themselves. So God now covers that over. And then the Lord said, behold, this man is like us. And if we don't do something, the Spirit of God and the Son of God and the the Father God are now talking and they're saying, if we don't do something, this man is going to eat from this tree and he's going to live forever and that'd be the worst thing that could ever happen to him. You know that? The worst thing that could ever happen is that Adam and Eve continue in that state. So here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to do, God says. We're going to allow them to temporarily perish. We're going to allow them to come to the end of these years that we experience on this sin-cursed world. So, the great enemy of our soul, death, is actually the grace of God. Folks, you've got nothing to fear. 
If God is for you, who can be against you? Who? The greatest thing, the the worst thing that we can ever experience is death. And death ushers those who are in Christ into the presence of God. It is as if God is saying, Satan, bring it on. I take all you got and I crush it. Now, Adam and Eve, come. Let me make you whole. Let me intervene. Let me redeem you. All you have to do, New Testament tells us, is confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. That is the gospel. The gospel includes several facts. It includes the fact that we are born depraved. All through and through, we're bad. The gospel includes the fact that God sends one to conquer sin for us. And it includes the fact that all we have to do is receive that. You see, this is the proto-evangelicum. The first gospel. That's what this is called. Genesis 3.15. Have you put your trust in Christ? Have you turned to Jesus and said, forgive me? As you look at the garden and the consequences of the fall, let God push you to make sure that you're one of His. Let's pray.